Bandwidth for February has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5 by 5 and they are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y, and let them know that you heard about them here on 5 by 5 I'm recording. I'm also recording. Me too. Here we go. Three, two, one. We recorded this episode on February 25th, 2016. This is on the great episode 155. This week, we're talking about the pitch. Here we go. I pressed a little button and it's tracking my voice. It's recording the vibrations in the air and converting them to a digital signal interpreted by the computer. This is why this show is always an hour and a half. This show is not always an hour and a half, Matthew. Yeah, it's always 15 minutes after I cut out 30 minutes of you singing in the intro. Matthew. Mm-hmm. That's true. I know, and technically you have the rights to everything I record and send you, I think, legally. Yeah, so... You could be making money uh, off of this, or something. Yeah, I'm sure I could be making money, if that's what you... I like Andy's confidence. Hey, you have vocal recordings of me singing poorly. You should be making money off of that. I would say that... Andy's the Donald Trump of this podcast. Hey, well, look, wow. just drop some gold Whoa. in your pocket. There you go. All right. Run off and make well, some money with that. Uh, guess this one's not going to be an hour and a half. Hangs <laughs> up, flick. Wait, you mean it's going to be two hours? Did I set you off? Did mm. I push the Andy button? No, no, no. Mm. He's just going to angrily tweet. I haven't angry tweeted in a long time. Good job. Good for you. Haven't you noticed? Up. That's what growing up is like. I remember when my dad sat me down and said, you're going to know when you're growing up when you stop angry tweeting. That's when I asked him, what is tweeting? Uh, I am five. And he's, uh, he, said, he said, when a man and a woman really love each other, or a man and a man, or a woman and a woman, they might yell at each other on Twitter for a while. So I do have a question for you, Andy. Oh, boy. There's, there's a big, exciting secret you told us two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you never told us what happened. It's what true. happened at your big, exciting murder mystery party? We Who had got murdered? No Who got mysteried? murder mystery follow-up because oh. we forgot. Yeah. So murder mystery party. Uh, overall, I would say it went pretty darn well considering all the caveats we discussed previously. For those that didn't I, listen to the previous episode. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea what House of Cards is. Not yep. even really sure what a murder mystery yeah, party is. Yeah, the important caveats were that I have never attended a murder mystery party didn't really know what one was, but had a vague idea of how it might go. And more importantly, I knew nothing about the theme, which was not set by me, which was House of Cards, having never watched the show. So and that uh, equation added up to, therefore, you would be great at it, right? Wasn't that how it went? I, I've always wanted to try it. So mm-hmm. I will say this. Uh, the phone call from my dad to kick it off, big hit. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Dad. Good man. The text messages were a big hit. Uh, people were confused. Uh, they were... Didn't really know where it was coming from. They thought we had paid for some service to like go and schedule this whole thing and manage it. Um, so that went pretty well. Uh, the, the clues I hid in the house were very exciting. People got legitimately mm-hmm. excited to find them. I hid some pretty tricky clues too. Like I had taken a piece of paper and then written a note on it and taken the piece of paper that was under that piece of paper and left that around. So it had the imprint of the note. So if you found it, you could rub, you know, crayon or a pencil on it to kind of expose the message somewhat piecemeal. Yep. That was a big hit. People were very excited about scratching out the message in pencil. Uh, I will say that I didn't think people were going to drink as much as they were drinking, <laughs> which affected their problem-solving ability. Yep. So there were a few times where I kind of basically had to nudge everyone along a little bit, uh, or else a lot of the work I had done would have been for naught, as, as nobody would have kind of figured out more so I, I made some misjudgments about how complicated and difficult to make the puzzle 
but there was one person there that was a friend of a friend. I had ne- never met her before. And she actually works uh, as a decoder for the State Department. So she's basically like a person that catches spies. And uh, she did a good job. That sounds like a made-up job for a movie. Is that a real thing? I, I mean, all I can tell you is that's what she told me and all of her friends confirmed. So All I can tell you is that I'm very gullible. Yep, exactly. Anyway, it went pretty well. I recommend using uh, text messaging as a form of giving messages at your next murder mystery party. I know you're all out there planning a bunch of them now. I do like that, that the fatal flaw was that because Andy doesn't drink, then nobody drinks, so therefore everyone will be on top of their game. Solving well, problems I, like I Andy think I just problems. thought that... I thought that like it was going to be a captive audience in that mm-hmm. it was over the course of two hours, and I thought that basically for two hours, this group of people would be nonstop trying to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. And what was actually happening is that people were just chatting and drinking and socializing and having a party, and then they'd get a clue and they'd be like, what does this mean? Does it mean anything? And try for about 45 seconds and then just go back to socializing, which I should have realized. Uh, so it's not really my, uh, my lack of drinking. It's more my lack of understanding how humans behave socially. Mm. Yeah. Years of building Legos. The suburbs <laughs> is a solitary place to grow up. Cool story. Mm. See, when you, the way you said that makes me feel like it wasn't a cool story. No, I'm glad it went well. Yeah, I'm good. glad we, we finally learned. I didn't totally uh, fall on my face. There was an embarrassing screw-up in the plot line. I, I, mean, I read all of the uh, poorly written wiki articles from the, uh, from the House of Cards wiki, mm. and somehow I didn't realize that in the new season... In the new season, there's a, there's a presidential election. They may have timed it to be with our current presidential election. You, you may be surprised to see they thought of that. Uh, so there's an election coming up in the new season, and I did not realize that the current president, who I believe to be the protagonist of the show, is also a candidate in that election. So mm-hmm. there was like a Democratic debate that happened that I had conceived of as part of the murder mystery, and this character would have certainly been at the debate, but I didn't make that character in the debate because I didn't realize they would have been there. So people were very confused by that. Interesting. That also, not a great story to tell. <laughs> Messed up a detail of the plot. People were a little confused. They thought it was like some weird twist them up uh, like crazy clue, but it was actually just me uh, not fully understanding the plot of the not-yet-released season of the show. Well, I think I will try, when I try a murder mystery party, I'll make a Game of Thrones themed and not read any of what Everybody Game of dies. Is. The murder mystery and is just that assume everybody <laughs> yeah. dies. What is the order? Figure it out. Fun game I like to play is uh, when everybody talks about Game of Thrones and I don't know what's going on, I just say uh, that I have watched the latest episode and then I make up what I think is going to happen. Yeah, see, I did that once on Twitter and I accidentally guessed a character that would die. Really? Yep, and people were mad because they thought I was spoiling it, but uh, people die in all the episodes, so I just I saw well, people tweeting about characters and I just said... Spoiler so-and-so dies, and people are mad. It's still a fun game to play. You can say, uh, did you guys see the latest Game of Thrones? Oh, I saw it before it came out. Khaleesi gets eaten by a dragon. All I know about the show is that there's a person named Khaleesi, and they're dragons. I can do math. How many times have you done that <laughs> at this point? <laughs> I know what happens when dragons are around. I'm not a fool. Nothing in the podcast. All right. Um, so... Uh, I feel like I always make that transition laughing at myself, which I think is a sign of discomfort. It's like a, it's an uncomfortable transition, so I just uh, laugh well, it off. Well, at least somebody's laughing. That's, that's a thing, right? People like to listen to other people laugh. Isn't that why car talk is a thing? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's 90% of car talk. Uh, if only we were brothers, think about how much better the show would be. Don't bring your graphic design to my brother. My brother, screw up your graphics. This week I want to talk about the pitch, gentlemen. <laughs> The pitch. 
you know, you got an idea, maybe you got some shapes, colors you made, and you are trying to pitch them to somebody. I, uh, there's been a series of events in the office this week that have just led me to just think more about how much an integral part of our job explaining, presenting things is, and how in a lot of circumstances, certainly not in all design positions, but in so many positions where design is what you're doing, at least certainly in consulting, and Dan, I actually wanted to kind of ask you, uh, I think Matt will probably agree with me, in consulting, like, if you can't sell the thing, then you can do the best work in the whole world, and it doesn't actually matter, right? Like, it doesn't see the light of day, it doesn't have an impact, uh, you can never rely on somebody else to understand your perspective or your sort of thought you put into something. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have that skill of convincing a client or some other stakeholder that the thing that you're making is uh, is important and worthwhile, likely you're going to be sunk. Uh, and Dan, I would guess, mm-hmm. though I want you to confirm or deny this, hopefully vigorously, mm. pick this show up. I would mm. say right now we're hovering about a four. We've mm-hmm. got to move it up. Okay. <clears throat> uh, I would guess that this is a similar situation to what happens internally at a big company, just that instead of trying to convince an outside stakeholder, you may have to convince uh, you know, somebody in leadership that's deciding where priority should be focused. You're trying to convince... Uh, an engineer that maybe doesn't think that they should spend the time to build something that you've designed. You're trying to convince the marketing team to make the button smaller. I don't know. Uh, is, is that a thing that happens in, in your job? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd say it would entirely depend on the project of whom you ask and how much effort you have to really put in. But that's absolutely a thing. Um, I, it's, I would say it's different from the old stereotype of agency work where like you do... A, you, work and work and work, you get, say, like a logo or something wrapped up and you're ready to present it. And then, you know, you go into uh, like a meeting room or a boardroom with clients and then have the big presentation and then get a yeah or an A and talk about it. Uh, that doesn't really happen so much. I would say really the biggest discussions that tend to happen are around uh, like what sort of projects to work on. Like if it's something that you're just sustaining and iterating on, then it's more like, which feature are we going to work on? Which, um, like, what direction do we want to go in for this? Uh, so it's similar. I, I do feel like it's a little bit different because um, you can, uh, it's not something that you just hide away and then present like when it, it's ready to go. Uh, that's really not the case. It's usually much more iterative. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's a, that's a very distinguishing feature of, a design company like the way that pitches work uh and, and pitch is kind of a gross word you know it's that's like a growth hacking kind of word but you know the idea that just you have to present something to a client at some point and explain it uh that's a part of every job i would have to imagine mm-hmm. and i think that the frequency which with that happens and the way that happens and how that conversation goes and the way things are structured is probably a big indicator of how that company works right like we know we've talked in the past about you know the i I would call like the more old guard kind of way of handling things of we're going to go off and we're going to you know sit in our little corner and come up with a bunch of beautiful amazing fairly fleshed out ideas and we're going to present them to you with context and with pizzazz and with you know the grand reveal and try to have some sort of impact uh and and that to me is a thing that i i see the value and the importance of explaining ideas but that is not something that i feel makes sense for the kind of work we're doing at friends of the web at least that's the thing i still struggle with is if if i should go off and be in a room for a week or two thinking of ideas and then coming out and being like it's done and it was all magic and you should appreciate it now or if i should just 
in some ways, just like the amount of time I spend, like not in communication just feels like pressure building that maybe shouldn't even be there Yeah, because it should just be an open communication the entire time. And like, Hey, have an idea. Let's talk about it. Or even just let's talk about it. Let's kill it early. That would be great if it were heading in the wrong direction. Uh, I mean, I've been in situations where you just head in the wrong direction for like a week straight and you come out with a fruitless meeting. Um, which actually is another thing I would be interested to know if you guys deal in this is like, if you, if you spend some time doing something, do you present like a million different options and say, here are all the possible things that we could do? Mm-hmm. Or do you like very confidently say, here's the thing I spent all my time on. We should do this. Ooh. And if it goes poorly, then you're screwed. And if it goes very well, you're, you're done. It's great. Now let's go make it. Yeah. So, so I will say that uh, I'm actually in the middle of helping out a couple of friends with a, uh, a contract right now. And mm-hmm. um, it's simple stuff, you know, like a, a logo and, and some like a UI kit for an app and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way that I'm tackling the, the logo, because it's just such an easy example, is that um, uh, the way that we're going to initially present it is that we're going to have a few different ideas. Mm-hmm. And the way that I like to frame the conversation is uh, nothing is set in stone. None of these are permanent. None of these uh, are... Um, like we're like we're not going to refuse to change any of these things outside of a few small things. Really, it's me coming and saying, "Here's some general thoughts that we had. Um, here's some different options. Here's the reasoning behind that, and then let's just talk about what's working and what's not, and what's connecting with you guys with what you want your company to be represented as. And then um, using that really just like as a starter, um." Uh, so that at the end of the meeting, we can say, okay, we have a much better idea of what everybody's looking for. And then we can actually go and make the thing uh, with a, a better, like a more concrete concept of, uh, of uh, what the visual identity is. Will you, yeah. will, you, will you show up with options that you think all can be picked and uh, finished tomorrow? Will you present options that are partially finished, you'd like to work on more? Or will you even present options that you think are clearly the wrong direction to point them in the right direction? I would say that all of the stuff that we're going to present is is good. Like, it's not something that is going to be absolutely finished, but it is going to... Dan would say he's a good designer. <laughs> and I don't and, mean the question of, like, the wrong direction, meaning, like, it's poorly executed. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's just a, diff- a concept that you would think, maybe not right for this, but we should look at this because I know they're going to ask this question. Let's show it, talk about why it doesn't work. And then move on from there. Oh, no, no, no. I don't really think in that idea because I also don't try to frame it as a wrong or right uh, when I'm designing it at that early of a stage. It's mm-hmm. more like a, here's just ger- general themes, maybe some um, like visual metaphors that we slam together and now it's this, this like app icon or whatever it is. And really just coming in and saying, here's just general thoughts that we had. We feel like um, if we had to go in a direction with either of these, that could be strong in the end. But we really just want to start out like at the very beginning with you guys and just kind of work with you guys through the process. Like I, I really just don't like it where either um, like we make something that they know that we know that they're going to either ask about or they're not going to like. Like we're not going to try to frame the conversation like that. Mm-hmm. It's way more just um, using it just to start talking about it. Because uh, what I've noticed in the past is that uh, I've had clients or even stuff at startups where uh, until you have something that somebody can see or kind of mess with, then they might have some assumptions in their head or something that they can't, like they're not going to communicate. And once they have something in front of their, uh, their eyes, then they have a much more concrete 
uh, I guess, benchmark to communicate. Andy, what do you do? Well, I, mean, I think we've talked in the show. I, I try to share things constantly as much as possible. You know, I, I'm, I know some people that will be in a meeting and an idea will pop into their head and they'll kind of like, you know, scribble it in the corner of a piece of paper to be like, ooh, I'm going to make this because it'll be great and then I can show it to them and I'm not going to tell them I just have this idea because that'll decrease the impact when I make it and show how good it looks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is not my style. If the idea pops into my head, I blurt it out, we talk about it, uh, et cetera. Um, that's not to say that, you know, there's not some degree, like basically most of our pitches take the form of me sending a Dropbox link to a folder full of images, maybe some screencasts, whatever, and asking someone to take a look at it for a few hours or whatever, a few hours ahead of time. Then we have a phone call or a Skype call, uh, and discuss the different things. Uh, it's never like, you know, dim the lights, come to the office, take some popcorn and, you know, we're going to give you this thing. And I, <laughs> I really think that in almost every circumstance, anybody you're working with, either in a big company or I mean, probably less than a big company, but definitely when they hire you as a consultant, they, are, they don't come with an idea of what the process is going to be like to that degree of detail. Like they're yeah. looking to you to direct things. So if you do dim the lights and hand them a bucket of popcorn, then they're like, ooh, I'm getting the final thing. It's going to be great. And <laughs> if they don't get the final thing, then yeah, they're going to be upset and they're going to feel like they didn't get their, what they paid for. Yeah. Uh, if you put things in a better context, I would say better. Uh, you put things in a context that is more one of communication and conversation and we're going to like figure this out together, uh, which is kind of what I always pitch design as. I'm like, we're going to use images because it's really difficult to talk about these ideas without images. Uh, but really, that's all they are. Um, we're never going to get to like pixel perfect, whatever, like going to go develop this exactly. We're going to use this as a way to explain ideas and make sure we're on the same page about lots of different things. Um, and we've had relatively good success with that. I will say that to come back to something you were talking about a moment ago, the um, to me, I think one of the what improvement and maturity looks like for a designer, I'm starting to feel is basically like I think when you are a relatively young designer, somebody hasn't been doing it for a super long time, or even if you're working in an industry or field uh, that you are completely unfamiliar with. Uh, so you may be experienced as a graphic designer, but this is a new territory for you. Mm-hmm. I think uh, there's this period of, you know, you learn kind of by doing. Uh, and the more you kind of do something and, you know, put it down and look at it and say, wait, that doesn't work for these reasons. And you kind of like have this loop, this conversation going on between you and probably your drawing program of choice, maybe your sketchbook, uh, maybe a wireframing program, whatever your kind of process is, there's just back and forth where you do something and you immediately think, mm, no, I'm not gonna work for these reasons and you kind of keep going. Um, I think if you, as you get more experience, more of that just happens in your head. You just know, uh, you know, and some of it's like rule of thumb, right? Like, yeah, uh, for, for a million reasons, I, I try to convince all of our clients never to put another carousel on a website for the rest of time. Uh, and <laughs> that's kind of a rule of thumb. Is there a chance that I'm, uh, you know, ignoring some great opportunity for a carousel? Possibly, but at this point, uh, I'm more happy to go with that, uh, that sort of general rule than I am to, you know, every single time we have a website, design the carousel option and then discuss its merits and go through that whole rigmarole. Um, so Matt, I think this thing you're touching on is like, I think as you get better at doing something, as you get more experience at doing it, yeah. uh, there is less that you're going to show that uh, you already know it doesn't work or you already kind of have a sense it's not going to be the correct option, which I think, yes, does lead Matt sometimes to like people saying, well, what about the carousel? And so I find myself doing, as I, as I feel like I get better at my job, I end up doing less drawing and more explaining. 
uh, well, because I'm not going to mean... draw the carousel to show you why it's bad. I'm just going to explain to you, like, look, here's the deal with the carousel. No one's going to get to slide two or three ever, so it's just wasted space. We have to do all this weird crap with JavaScript to make it work reliably, and it might look different on different browsers, and what are we going to do on mobile? We have to consider if we're going to make it swipeable then. It's like a whole thing. Yeah. Um, anyway, you're going to say something. Well, that's an example of like a, a thing you've done a million times, and you're kind of like, I know this thing. I'm bored of this. How about a, a kind of a new idea that maybe is like, you're like, eh, this is experimental or weird or something. I don't know, totally know if it's going to work. Maybe it's a conversation starter. Is that something you're going to bring to the table? Or are you going to be like, mm, nah, probably not. I know a clearer, better direction, an easier direction. Well, I think everything is shades of that. Like the carousel one is a very specific example. Yes. Like that's because that a... seems like one where I'm like, yeah, I also agree. I won't touch it. It's, you know, I'm kind of I don't need to talk about that. But I don't think that that's frames the whole conversation. No, but I think it's everything is on that spectrum. Uh, and a carousel is the extreme, which makes it a potent example for this, because I think most people out there listening to the show that understand our perspective on carousels will kind of viscerally agree with us and kind of get mm-hmm. the point. Uh, but I mean, everything is like that, right? Like you as a designer might have a sense of like how prominent an instruction or notification needs to be for someone to actually notice it, depending on what that thing is. Um, you probably have a sense for, you know, the order that things should go on the page to lead somebody down the path you want to lead them down. Uh, things that are more abstract that you can't just say, oh, well, this is clearly wrong, but we can agree that like, you know, you're not going to put the next page button in the top left. That's not where that goes uh, mm-hmm. for all sorts of reasons we could explain. Um, so like early on in your design career, like, yeah, you might think carousels are great. You might put that next page button in the top left if you're a little bit loopy or from a right to left leading language. Um, but the more you kind of do that, like, and I think there's more abstract, sophisticated, less easy to explain in a sentence versions of that, where like you just start to know what works. Uh, it's just experience, right? I think it's true of everything. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I found that more, I, I've always felt the design is a process of explaining. Uh, and now I feel like I do more of that explaining through phone calls, through emails, uh, than through drawing necessarily, because I have a language to describe why it is not worth us trying X thing or why this really does work well for whatever. And I think it's it's specifically interesting on like product-based work because sure, like if you're doing branding and coming up with like logos, like there I think options are very valuable because in that situation, there's oftentimes like very dramatically different roads you could go down. Mm -hmm. You can focus on different kind of theologies of the of the company and different you know parts of its its values to kind of really make it the central focus point you can really pursue dramatically different things i mean a a brand is very very broad uh which is very open-ended if you're designing the page on a commerce website that sells a product uh there is not that much variation uh, we are yeah. not going to do options of that page ever we're going to do the page in a way that we feel is best we're going to explain those decisions and we're going to say but if you have a problem with any of this if you want to change the way that the thumbnails are handled, if you really want to make an argument that the description belongs above the purchase button or whatever, uh, we'll talk about all those things. Like we're, we're open to the scope of variation, but we don't need to, you know, ab- abandon all of the information we know we have about this practical thing and say like, well, what if the, all you saw was images and you had to make the image small enough to fit it in your little pocket, to put it in your cart. Like we're not going to get that crazy with it because we're doing a job. It's a practical thing in a way that you know, logo options are not a practical thing because logos are a 20th century idea. <laughs> yeah. So, um, nice dig. Um, I'd, I'd say that there's probably a couple of different things that, uh, for me factor in whether or not, uh, I present things that are a little bit more exper- experimental or even just spend time on it. Like one of them is 
like that was a really good example, Andy. Is like if it's part of a workflow, and if there's multiple steps involved and and a lot of different factors with that sort of thing, it like uh, being experimental with it just adds risk. So I tend to avoid it in that situation and try to try to just do something that's most usable, which is usually something that's the most repeated. Um, so you know, like that's one factor where maybe I'm just more I have something that's more predictable in my work if it's part of it, just like a larger thing. And then the other factor that I can think of is like if it's contract work or uh, like if it's an agency and it's a client, then it also depends on the budget. Like if they have a really small budget, but you really want to like do the project with them, then maybe you can't spend that extra time to do something that's more experimental. But if they have a big budget and they just like to throw around a bunch of ideas, then sure, why not? I mean, like that's kind of what they're actually. What for. What's the content? Are you talking about doing experimental logo, poster, book cover, or experimental? iOS app or something. Uh, I mean, like either. If it's something that they were looking for visual identity stuff, then yeah, maybe you can have go crazy with um, maybe like, oh, let's bring back the idea of MTV, where you just like it's not one logo, <laughs> it's a billion different logos, and then do that exploration. But oh, you mean um, every logo from the early two thousands? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I actually found that on the the kind of lower budget scale, like having that conversation doesn't actually really work. Yeah, that you you can't really be like, well, I know you have your expectations. But you can't quite afford this. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of take this out. And we're going to take this out. We're going to take this out. And then we'll just do less stuff. Uh, have you found, do you find that to be a successful thing for you to do? Or do you end up just going through the same process again? Because that doesn't really work. Um, I mean, for me, I, I just try to set expectations very much up front. That if one of their biggest concerns is budget, I'll say, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of options. I just want to say that up front. If you want to work together, if we still want to make a thing, let's just figure out what that thing is and uh, get it to where it's in your hand as, as soon as possible. And uh, just kind of frame it that way. And then like reiterate throughout the process of there's the things that uh, we want to do. Um, it might not be the most glamorous thing, but it's going to get you off the ground because that's usually what like a smaller budget thing is in my mm-hmm. experience. Um, so uh yeah, I don't know. Uh, I w- and that does that always go well for you? Like, does that always end with "I'm very happy about that"? It was less glamorous. We spent less time on it. I'm thrilled with where that went. Or yeah, does the does lower expectation actually do anything? No, I I think it's maybe I was just lucky with the clients too because um, with the smaller budget th- stuff, they had so many other things that they were worried about. Like maybe if it's a company starting off the ground or something that's smaller, and they just have a lot of other concerns because it's a small staff and a lot of responsibilities. Um, mm-hmm. they don't want to put in a whole bunch of extra thought into all the different options. Uh, a lot of times they'll come to me and they'll say, we just need a simple website. Here's the things that we would uh, like to do. And then uh, we kind of chip away and say, okay, this is practical to do with the budget. This isn't, here's why, here's some alternatives and maybe something that they could do on their, their own. You know, like if it's um, like a, a, even something as dumb as like having a fancy uh contact info page or something like that and having like inline validation to see whether or not an email is valid uh, where, you know, like an alternative is say, like if you have an issue and you want to contact us, it's just a simple email link. Like just doing things on that level um, kind of help uh, mitigate some of those concerns of uh, like, are we going to overstep how much effort we're going to put into it? I found that to go two ways, either like, you have the client who is not paying, who's not paying that close attention and doesn't have the time to deal with it, and they're just excited about everything that you do. Or like, despite the the expectation conversation you have, you have it ten million times. Nobody actually wants that. Like the the client just doesn't want it at all, 
and there's no amount of talking that uh, was going to work. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a similar thing, I think, because part of the other thing about, I think, getting more experience as a designer and recognizing that design is really a process of explaining and discussing an idea, mm-hmm. especially on the, in the product space. I think another thing that I've gotten better at, and I've observed other designers that, as they get more experience, get better at, is more quickly actually figuring out via conversation, usually, what someone actually is looking for. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, which I don't think is like some weird magic trick. I don't think it's like, make sure you ask these questions and you've got it all figured out. I think it's completely different for every person you're talking to. And something that I feel like I've improved at is being able to say, okay, you're looking for X. Here's a, a practical example. We said we give more practical examples in the show. There's a, there's a small company here in Baltimore. It's a small software company that uh, we occasionally do like marketing materials for. Um, we wouldn't take a job like this if it was a new client, but we worked with them for the past three years. And so when they email because they need a, you know, a banner for this conference they're going to for some trade show, we design it for them because we have a relationship. Um, so we did exactly that. We, you know, made a trade show banner for them and they contacted us because they were up against the wall. They had this surprise trade show they didn't know they were going to and they really wanted a banner last minute. So that was good, like, it's good when someone comes to you and they recognize that they're asking a lot. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, that's yeah. great. It, it's good. It's good in that they're willing to trust you. And like, you can say, look, okay, you need to have his banner printed by next Wednesday. So here's what we can do. And that's a real, to, to, the, to the client, uh, and this is not a fault of theirs at all, but to, to them, that's a much more real limitation because they're intimately aware of it. Yeah. Uh, when you're explaining a limitation that you're intimately aware of, but they are only hearing about it through you, that never feels as real as the thing that they know mm-hmm. is a limitation. Mm-hmm. Right. Anyway, uh, I feel like I've gotten a lot better at saying, okay, you need a trade show uh, banner. So uh, basically, let's talk about the different kinds of trade show banners and we can describe it and figure out what it is you actually need, such that when we spend a few hours designing it and send it over, you're like, perfect, this is exactly what we needed. Um, and that, that is not a matter of you know them just being desperate and whatever we sent would be good. It's just a matter of, I think, the way you have those conversations when you know more what the possible pitfalls are and you've had more like you know real experience actually trying to figure out what somebody is trying to describe to you or actually wants uh, you get a lot faster at that you get you don't have to actually do the things again and much like your own internal process you don't have to actually spend the time to design the seven different options and then say which of these do you like uh you just kind of go through here's more or less the options for trade show banner and then we'll design the one that we agree is the one we want and if you have that conversation effectively and you actually have communicated clearly what the expectations are, then, yeah, the person's probably going to be happy because they got exactly what they wanted in the first shot. Um, and that, you know, doesn't scale up quite as well. You're not going to do a giant project the same way where you talk, have one conversation about it and then uh, you just hit it out of the park right away. Well, but, I will uh, say this, though. The exact opposite of that, where somebody comes to you and says, like, hey, I want the absolute best version of X. Uh, can be a little bit paralyzing, and sometimes I have no idea what to do with a statement like that. Here's what you do, do you Matt. Feel that way? I'm gonna I'm gonna solve your problem, Matt. Here's what you sure. do: you tell them they can't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, name an X. Insert anything there for X. And something I've come more to terms with is that we, as a small consulting company, yeah. are never gonna be doing the best of anything. It's just not possible. Mm. Uh, like, name a thing. There is a company out there that is doing it. If it's already a thing that exists, and they have a full time staff, and they pay them a salary and benefits and if you're in our industry they're probably in the bay area or new york city uh and they're paying people a ton of money uh and you're not gonna we're not gonna do better than them on any budget uh yeah. ever basically 
so there's there there's some things that i don't think are completely out of reach if somebody said like hey i want the absolute best best version of a one-page marketing site like i think that, i guess that's true actually we had like that, i think uh, there are some things you can do mm-hmm. i think if somebody said i want the absolute best version you can do of a facebook clone You'd be like, well, well, <laughs> yeah. well let, let me give you the real world example again, because I think we actually did this exact thing very recently. Yeah. Uh, somebody came to us and they wanted the absolute best app for tracking your drainage post-surgery uh, when you have a drain installed and you have fluid being vacuumed out of your body. Yeah. Uh, there is one of those in existence and soon there will be two and ours is a lot better. So we did, <laughs> so it is we did do the best, best version of that. Um but yeah, I think you kind of understand what I mean, right? Like, yeah, uh, I do. that's the exception. The exception is here is this obscenely specific, relatively limited thing that doesn't really exist. Uh, and we want to do a better version of it versus people that, I mean, yeah, the stereotypical example, which has literally happened a number of times is someone that, you know, calls and says, yeah, I've got an idea. It's kind of a combination of Tumblr and Facebook. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm looking to build a prototype for 15 grand. And it's like, you are out of your element person on the telephone <laughs> yep. that's not how that works mm-hmm. or a less extreme example is you know we are do a lot of work in the commerce space and people often come to us and have dreams of making the world's best commerce platform for 150 grand and it's like guess what that's how much guilt spends in two weeks on their engineering team uh do you think we're going to be able to do better than the guilt has done for years with their team of 80 people yeah. for that kind of budget uh in some ways maybe if you have some really interesting novel idea for how we're going to change the basic structure of it we can do something that's at least unique but uh it's not going to be everything we can't do everything um and i've been very upfront about that and uh, i think something that is another skill which is kind of a a soft skill in the design and specifically the consulting world is delivering bad news in a way that it is completely unequivocal but also does not make someone upset Yeah. Uh, yeah there's a lot of like dancing around bad news that happens in consulting where you're like well you know best is uh, is kind of subjective but you know, we can do a really great job for you blah 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 and, uh, i say no we can't give you the best whatever we just can't do it it's not possible that's not what money does in this yeah. certain scenario mm-hmm. uh so i think that particular skill of like here's the thing you don't want to hear i'm going to tell you to you in a way that there is no chance you misunderstand me but also that you are not immediately like well this person's a dick they won't even entertain <laughs> yeah. my awesome idea well is there is there any part of you that's like your your practical nature fights with your ego that says, your ego says, Andy, of course we can do the best thing. You're the best. We're the best. We're great. And then the practical side of that says, well, I know what the best entails. Is it, was that ever a struggle? Because I, I know to this day, I still hear someone say, hey, man, I want you to make the best thing. And I'm like, I, I might be the guy to do it. This might be, I should do it. <laughs> this is my <laughs> moment. <laughs> this is my moment. <laughs> um, I, I, would, I would love, I think that's one of the, I've been thinking a lot about just the, the nature of consulting and what it means for like, you know, if, if I were to do this for 20 years, what, what that would mean for like my career and the kind of yeah. products I get to do. And I think one of the trade-offs is that I will almost never get to make the best version of anything significant. Like, yeah, we really did make the best drainage app. Uh, when it comes out in the app store, I'll tell you about it on the show and you can all go download it and compare it to the other drainage app, which is not good. Um, <laughs> I'm very confident in that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think the trade-off is that, yeah, you know, Consulting is lean. Um, we had a, a new member join our team in, in November, and this person came from not the consulting world at all. They never tracked their time, never billed hourly. They came mm-hmm. from like an institutional, actually academic background. And it's been very interesting having conversations with him where he's like, for the first time, I think he's very like concretely realizing like how expensive things are. 
He's yeah. like, oh, yeah, my old job, if I told them that I could finish something in three or four months, they'd be like, that's great. That's super. Just go ahead and do it. That's nothing at all. Uh, because I was a full-time employee. I was already on the books. There was no extra cost. It was already worked into the budget. And that sounds perfect. Uh, but of course, when you actually figure out how much money they're spending on salary and benefits for that person for four months, it's a huge expenditure. It's like an enormous expense. Um, and so like the consulting world peels off that veil of, oh, we're just this machine and time is free. And that happens a lot at a lot of companies I observe where like time is free. We're all here. So we'll, you know, just kind of spend six hours on a whiteboard, you know, bullshitting for a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can't do that in consulting, right? Like it's very, very lean when you're billing a good rate for your time every hour, you need to justify that time that's being spent, uh, which means that you do things efficiently, which I think is great in, in a lot of ways. But it means you almost never get to do the best of anything, uh, which I think is kind of a trade-off. And, and Matt, I think that what I like to take pride in is doing the best in very small ways. Um, so, for example, Tobias's website, which I've talked about on the show. Uh, could you argue it's the absolute best type foundry website in existence? Probably not. There are multiple type foundries that you know do have full-time web developers that are constantly improving things. Uh, you know, there's many practical ways you could say it's not the best. Uh, but I will stand by. I think the purchasing section is really a big step up from almost every other uh, type website, uh, type mm-hmm. foundry. Um, that's something we really spent a lot of time on. We said, look, this is something that we think is important. We think it's an opportunity to do a lot better than anyone else has done. And I, I feel strongly about that. So it's a matter of kind of choosing your battles. Uh, like I, I can have my little wins, right, where I can say, yeah, this I spent a lot of time on. I feel like we did something that is unique that really, you know, addresses this problem in a way that other, you know, Foundries have not addressed it, but you know we're not also not going to try and replicate every single feature of every other single type foundry website, and we're not going to try and do all these things other sites do because we don't want to battle on those fronts, I guess. Yeah. So actually, the the, the trade off in my mind is always like, you know, if I think of myself as maybe being an in house designer, maybe I can work on the best thing, but I'm a very small piece of the best thing. Whereas in in consulting, like maybe I'm a really big piece, and I get to make a lot of decisions about. Not the best thing in the whole world, but uh, I get to do like a really good job at a uh, a bigger piece of the whole puzzle, you know. And I, for whatever reason, that that pushes my buttons more than being like a you know one designer on the Facebook design team of how many people do they employ? So many, right? You got to work on your ego, Matt. You have to imagine you're the person in charge of the team. Oh, how exciting is that? Oh, what have you done? There, there, there are a few products that I would. Uh be very interested to be in charge of mm. mostly as a fact-finding mission because i'm sure i know nothing about it oh i see and all the sort of complexity involved but it'd be very interesting i think to see i i oftentimes spend a lot of time considering what practical effect one individual can have on systems of different sizes yeah i think about this relative to politics which is you know tis the season i think about it relative to small and big companies like you're describing matt um you know like what what is how good can it be you know i think people that are like Steve Jobs followers would say that one person can change the whole world and, you know, it's all it takes to make everybody do their best work and be visionary and blah, blah, blah. And I think you can make some very strong arguments that uh, one person basically does almost nothing at the end of the day in terms of net effect on a system. But I think about that a lot. That's neither here nor there, though. That's not what we're talking about at all. We're talking about the I'm best. I'm doing that thing. I'm digressing. We're talking about the best. I feel like, Dan, I cut you off a second ago. What were you going to say? Uh, I can't even remember what I was going to say, so don't worry about it. Dang it. Yeah. You could give us the in-house perspective. Are you doing the best gaming website in the whole world because you have a big team to do it? Yeah. Andy and I can well, only do tiny well, tests. Is that well, a thing pump, you think about, Dan? Well, pump the brake. Big team. 
Definitely not a thing. We actually have a very, very small team uh, for what we do. Well, yeah. So, literally everybody would say that in the whole world, probably. No, I mean, between engineering product and design for three major gaming websites, we're like a dozen people. So it's, it's a really small team. Uh, I know. I'm just saying that Facebook thinks they're a small team for the fact that they have the world's most popular website. Like, I don't, I don't think it. Oh, sure. I don't think anyone's like, oh, yeah, our team's way oversized. Yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have plenty of people. Yeah. We just have so much money. We just hire too many people. <laughs> we just throw money at designers. Yeah. Now, um, Oh shit! What was the what were what did you even ask me? You make the best gaming website in the whole world, right, Dan? No, I try. You're, you're one twelfth of the whole. Do you try? Is that a focus? You like we want to be the best, and here's why. Or are you just like we're here to serve this bigger thing, and we're not really focused on like how we compare to the competition and whatever. I honestly like. I would love to build the best like three gaming entertainment websites, uh, but that gets dismissed fairly quickly entirely because there's so many things that we can improve and we just don't have enough time for it at the end of the day. Or like even when I was planning out uh, projects that we'd like to accomplish in design for the year, uh, we still are not going to have enough room in the year to be able to do all of it just because there's more immediate things that we do. There's planned things like E3 and game of the year and that sort of stuff. So like you can't make the very best of everything all over all three sites it's just impossible so you kind of have to like pick and choose the things that you really like want to improve which are still not going to be the absolute best a lot of times um so like i don't think i could ever say like at at the end of my tenure at cbsi to say like yeah i made everything the best it could ever be and it's awesome and you don't even have to change it it's like this is perfect no like that's just is that isn't a thing well and and you said it jokingly but like the best is a subjective thing and in a lot of ways, it's a silly thing to say, right? Well, I, mean, I do think that's an aspect of, I think there's something to that and designers specifically. Like, it's, I'm very, the idea of working on very small projects and doing them, like, way above and beyond. Like, we, we did a really good job with the Drain app, but could be better. Like, and, and this is the thing <laughs> that I was talking to the rest of the team about. I was like, you know what's crazy? We could spend a whole year nonstop working on this Drain app, and we would never be perfect like we could always be improving it and the idea that you only ever really get to scratch the surface like the practical surface of any problem Mm -hmm. is it's a little bit stifling mentally at least for me uh like a little bit emotionally it's like oh man i only ever get to kind of and it's weird because i outwardly like vocally want to be a generalist i don't ever want to really be super specialized in anything (laughs) and yet the idea that i don't really get to actually keep digging and find the promise of that perfect drain app uh, is it's yeah it's kind of a bummer. I don't know. I think it's I think no, it's I, a thing about designers is that mm-hmm. we I get we, that all the time. Like it, it always comes around when I'm when we're about ready to launch something, which never means you're done done. It just means it goes out in the world. I always find myself going like, mm, what if I know we want to launch this today, but what if we just like spend an extra week and I get to like make a bunch of comments about this and then we can change these things and then uh, it's going to be like significantly better and then. Maybe okay. Maybe we spend a little bit more time here. Like in my world, uh, if I didn't have a more practical attitude, I'd probably never launch anything. It would never go out in the world. Mm-hmm. So it's a, yeah. It's not a great. If if I enforce that, like if or if I really push hard on all the things I want to change about everything all the time, uh, nothing would ever get launched. It'd be a terrible way to run a company. No, I think that the people I've talked to that have left consulting for working in house somewhere, either mm-hmm. at a product company or even you know a non digital product company the that's the feeling they're looking for they're like oh man i just i'm so tired of the grind of just kind of you know doing a small project getting it out there doing 
just as good enough as we can to meet the budget and getting it out there and kind of doing all of that. And the hope is that, oh, I'll get to really focus on something that I can like nurture and kind of grow. But I, yeah. I think it's kind of a grass is always greener situation. It is. Like, it, it, is. it totally is. I mean, like uh, I, I've had designers I've worked with in the past that come from agency over into like a startup or something like that. And they're like, oh, it's supposed to be easier. And I just nod my head. And I don't I think it's easy, but I think it. I think people expect it to, to scratch a different itch than it does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like and what they don't realize is that uh, like in an agency, you could be working on a lot of projects and you're just like trying to get stuff out the door. So it's complete. So you can keep getting money and like all those other factors and in in-house uh, sort of work, you're constantly doing smaller things and you're just trying to get the stuff out the door. It's not different. Like nobody these days in like a normal digital product or, you know, startup environment or any of that sort of thing. Nobody spends like three months working on a thing and then releases it uh, in, in like a quarter of the year. Like that's just, that's impossible. You have to do things in smaller chunks. So like it just, it seems silly when people look for that, that different thing, but it's all Mm -hmm. very similar work at the end of the day. Yeah. I will say one thing that does scratch an itch. It's one I didn't, I, I never really considered until I moved on to motel was uh, I get very excited about making a little thing and putting it out in the world and seeing what happens. Like not, not saying we're going to do the absolute best job and we know it's going to happen. Just we have an idea. We'd like to see what happens. Let's build a little thing, put it out in the world and see if it's true or not. Mm-hmm. That actually is really exciting to me. Uh, it is definitely not the way I was taught to design stuff at all. Oh yeah. But uh, it's kind of great actually. Um, I really like working that way. So I've started doing that a little bit more often, um, which is another way, like another way of talking about options is uh, let's make, instead of let's present three logos, let's make three different things that do similar things in different ways. See what works best. I mean, it's, it's AB testing or ABC testing, mm-hmm. but uh, I find it more exciting than like, I don't know what, what are oh, we yeah, supposed to say? It's like a horse race. Soul, of course it's, it's more exciting. Crushing. It's soul crushing. Are we supposed to say it's soul crushing because it's not magic or whatever? Yeah, you can say but, whatever you want about it, but it's it's like the it's like being at the, the ball game and you're rooting <laughs> for the condiment that's going to make it around the bases. It's like, <laughs> of course, it's exciting. It's, yeah. You don't get to do that when you're actually solving the problem. <laughs> anyway, that was a little dig against A/B testing. Mm-hmm. Take that, people. Oh. Um, I have a way maybe to put a bow on this, possibly. Oh, sure. Uh, something I think touches all the things that we're saying. That is a revelation I had that I want to share with everybody. Oh, um, a lot of times working on the projects we're working on, there's difficult conversations about budget time, you know, all things we've been talking about, right? Where it's sure. like, well, we really want this. And I'm like, well, if we do that, then here are the trade-offs or if we don't really have time to do that at all, like flat out, we just can't do it. It's not possible given your budget or timeline or launch date. Um, you know, there's those, all those conversations are a huge part of designing anything at all, uh, especially designing something from scratch and launching it. Um, something I've discovered, and I'll say oftentimes too, our clients will come to us and they're like, oh, we really want this thing. And I'm kind of like, are you sure? And they're like, yeah, we want this. We know we want this. And I'm like, it's going to take this amount of time. And they're like, yep, totally worth it. We know we want it. Uh, and in my head, I'm like, I don't think you really want this. Uh, I found that if I can just get those clients to agree they should do it after launch, never happens. Mm. Ever. Uh, and the reason is because, or the reason I think, I, I, I'm postulating the reason is that prior to launch, you think about, the problem in a totally different way. Uh, like this thing doesn't exist yet. It's this brand new thing and there is going to be a launch and the launch is going to be an important unveiling and everything has to be perfect. 
uh, and you have to really kind of spend all your time making everything flawless because yes, 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 I know you're telling me that we're going to work on it forever and the site's constant maintenance, we can always improve it, but really we want to launch and be great. Like that's, that's the moment we're really looking forward to. And then as soon as it actually launches, the equation totally changes, especially in situations where you're launching a website that's going to make money. Uh, because when that equation changes and they're like, oh, it's, it works. We didn't do that thing that I wanted to do and we're still getting views or making sales or getting downloads or whatever it is the thing is supposed to do. Immediately, the client sees the practical thing that I was able to see all along where it's like, mm -hmm. oh, wait, now how, how many hours is it going to take to do that? And that's $4,000? No, we don't need that at all. Look, it's already alive. It's already doing its thing. We, we're great. <laughs> um, so I, I found that that's a very kind of interesting nexus of you want to do the best job you can, but also there are limitations and trying to communicate, you know, communicate what a thing should be with somebody else uh, that probably doesn't think quite like you. Uh, I've, I've found that basically, and I've told, I've started telling people now, I'm like, here's what we're going to do. You're telling me you really want this thing. I'm telling you, we are more than happy to do it for you after launch. It'll still be within budget. We're going to launch under budget. Uh, and then if you still want it after launch, we'll do it. But I'm telling you right now, you're not going to want it. <laughs> and so far, I've been two for two, hitting out of the park with that. People don't want things they said they wanted originally. Um, which it's just a very, I think, it's an interesting revelation for me to have because it just changes the way the conversations go around things. In that now I'm aware, more consciously, mm -hmm. that a lot of people that are talking to me don't really fully grasp the cost of the things they're describing, even though we give them a proposal and there's the number. Yeah, sure. They're thinking about it in terms of like, oh yeah, well this costs this much. So it's just, now that it costs this much, we'll do whatever we need to do about it. Uh, but it wouldn't cost that much if you didn't ask for all those things that you probably don't need. Yeah. Mm. I've thought of it recently just as, let's just get started. Like we can spend all the time in the world getting, getting the plan exactly perfect, but you know what's going to be better? We just get started. We just start doing it. We just start making it. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to learn a lot more because yep. guess what? We don't know a lot now. We think we do. We think we know a lot. But wait a minute. Why exactly am I hiring you? Want. I'm hiring you to know a lot. But we can just hit go. It's going to be great. Let's just go. <laughs> That's a good pitch, Matt. No, we just, just give me the money now. Just, <laughs> just pay <laughs> us even, and we'll start doing it that. and it'll be it's great. It's not like, hey, give me $100,000. It's like, hey, agree to pay for a small period of time and I promise you're going to be excited about it. As opposed to like, let's spend a full month getting the proposal exactly perfect Oh yeah, every that's little the detail. Because guess what's going to happen? In a couple of weeks or a month, you're going to want to change it. Yep. Always. I promise. Always. Uh, I was going to say that the um, thing you mentioned, Matt, about that pressure building up. I think you mentioned yeah. this about an hour ago. That pressure building up. <laughs> Remember at the beginning of the show when you mentioned that you just sit in a room and you build pressure as time passes and then you send the thing? Well, this is, this is what I do, Matt. I have a long list of things to respond to and I usually work from the bottom up. So yep. we cover everything else. Back to the beginning. The... Um, the, the pressure building up, right? Where you've, the longer you've gone without sending something to somebody or talking about ideas, you feel like there's more pressure on you to really blow them away when you first show them something. Sure. Uh, that is very real. Uh, and I, for me, it is really, like, I would say magnified by an order of magnitude for the first thing you send them. Uh, like when, when you don't have any idea how somebody's going to respond to any work, uh, that pressure is greatly magnified. And so like, that's something that I feel very strongly about is that, sure, I, I want to be communicating constantly with as many clients as possible all the time, but I feel way more strongly about that first thing we send them has to be fast. It's got to be yeah. almost no time has elapsed and we're sending them something that is very bare bones because A, it sets expectations that, oh, we're not going to get polished stuff back from these people. They're not going to give us popcorn and dim the lights. 
but more importantly, like it does not give an opportunity for that pressure to build, which I think honestly like affects the team. Like <laughs> I think people get nervous when it's like, oh, we've been working on this for four days and we haven't shown them anything. And what if they just hate all of this and we're not going to be able to work together at all because of some thing we don't know about. So I, I'm strong in the corner of like the first thing you send has got to be quick out of the gate. And then, you know, the rest of it, I think it varies from project to project for us. Like some people, we're just on the same page. And so we just keep working because we have no, we have no concerns about the things we're doing being wrong. Yeah. I'm getting more on the side of like, I'd rather just start the conversation. Let's start talking about things really, really early because yeah, I feel that it's real. You go away for a little while, you come back and you think you have this polished thing, but like, I don't, you don't know. You don't know how they're going to react. And they're like, like, it's more about it's more about the other person's personality than it is your work sometimes. Oh, it, it's entirely all, it's entirely about the other person's personality because your work is probably more or less uh, consistent project to project. Like you, you're you, you're <laughs> sure. going to do your work, uh, but the fact that the response is so different is entirely out of your control. That's true. Well, I shouldn't say out of your control, but it's subject. Try, try to do a good job every time, but uh, that's the oh, one do thing. you? Like, oh, see, I that's can't... another recommendation. Don't. <laughs> doing a good job time. all the time because then everyone expects you to do a good job oh man such pressure the first one you gotta That's scrub a little bit i can't i wish i could just remind myself that every every time like uh, every time something goes well or goes poorly i'm either oh this is great or like oh have you gotten worse are you doing a bad job matt what happened it's just different people matt what, just different people. what happened to you matt <laughs> what happened remember remember last week you were a good designer and you used to be week, a good designer now you're some sh- oh, you shit designer anything. you don't know anything been on the grid episode 155 this week i want you to check out our subreddit go to onthegrid.reddit.com check out the feedback link for this page episode 155 and uh tell us what you think of the show or how do you do your pitch do you show some options do you let the pressure build do you show everything immediately check it out onthegrid.reddit.com thanks as always to girlfriends for the theme music and of course thanks to you for listening until next week I've listened to you like 150 times and I've put you together and I bet you don't you know listen sometimes. to me 300 times because you have yeah, the conversations true. with me and then you edit. That's true. I bet, I bet you can't tell sometimes when I edit out like an entire chunk of a thing you said and I just put two oh, non-sequiturs together. Matt, Matt, I can always tell 100 I don't think you time. can always tell. Like, I, here's the thing. I never remember what I said on a show until I'm listening yep. to it and then I can tell if individual words are missing. Mm, I, don't, I don't believe that. Well, we, we, can, do, we can do a bet. Oh, I would actually like that. You know, the, the easiest way to do it is basically me open a GarageBand file and watch. I get to see the cuts and you just have to listen to it. And you have to be like, ah, there. That'd be a fun game to play. Well, you've, you've started, you used to edit like, you used to cut out every little like uh, white space. So there'd be a cut every like, you know, 45 seconds. But we, we could do that, that game at do. some point. You don't do that anymore. That I don't do. Which I think is good. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, yeah. I will say sometimes I'm, uh, sometimes I actually like my brain processes the conversation in the exact same way such i'm aware i'm a robot and then like yeah i think the thing that i know i'm gonna <laughs> that, that i don't really know i'm gonna say but i know i'm gonna yeah. say in the exact same wording and i'm like oh i forgot i said it in that exact same wording but that is exactly mm-hmm. what i'm thinking right now as i'm listening well, back you, to the show did you notice in the last episode i cut almost nothing but i did move one thing around yeah 
Yeah, maybe maybe more should have been cut <laughs> from, from that last episode. 